Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today on the show is my daughter-in-law and naturopathic physician, Dr. Brianna Sinatra. And we're gonna talk about menopausal issues, right Brianna? We're gonna get right into it. We're gonna talk about the transition years for women, you know, what she can do, whether it's diet, supplements, mind, body. I mean, hey, maybe even bioidentical hormones. I mean, I think it's wide open. So welcome to the show, Brianna, it's great to see you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Dr. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. So anyway, you know, I think with Brianna being a woman and being a natural path, I think today's show would be a knockout punch talking about women's health issues. What do you think, Brianna? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. I mean, what do you think one of the biggest health issues affecting women are? I mean, from my point of view, I can tell you this as a heart specialist. I mean, if a woman is hypertensive, she has high blood pressure, um, I worry a lot about that in women because more women than men are developing high blood pressure today. And I don't know if you see that in your practice, but in my practice of cardiology, not only did I see more women with high blood pressure, but I see women with uh, what we call diastolic dysfunction. In other words, these are women who have high blood pressure, Brianna. They're in their 40s and 50s. And, and they come in and they say, Doc, for some reason, I'm having more fatigue. Uh, I'm doing the laundry and I'm, and I'm short of breath. I climb up the stairs and I can't catch my breath. Something is different. I take their blood pressure and they have, a little, they have high blood pressure. Yeah. Um, I'll, t- I'll, I'll t- go into the history. I'll do an echocardiogram. And what they have is echocardiographic findings of diastolic dysfunction, which means, in other words, when the heart is filling with blood during the resting phase, diastole, it struggles a little bit. And that's due to the high blood pressure in women. And that's why a lot of women today are, are developing the, these symptoms. And I'll tell you, the Women's Health Initiative, I wrote about it in my book, and I got this um, new chapter in cardiology coming out on women and heart disease. And even the Women's Health Initiative is privy to this information because women in their middle age of life, when they're going through menopause, and you know more about menopause than I do, So women going through the menopause, they tend to get more hypertensive. What do you have to say about that? No, I think your point is so important, Steve, because I think still on women's radar is breast cancer. Right. Yes. That's they the number one thing to be preventative right. of. Yes. And the risk for men is greater 
prior to the menopausal transition, but after the menopausal transition, the risk for women increases. So I think that's a super important thing to have on a woman's radar as she's going through her menopausal transition, because hormones fluctuate, but as they eventually decline, that loss of estrogen has many unfortunate changes in some biomarkers for a woman's body that can leave her more susceptible to heart disease. So as those things are changing, it's important to watch those biomarkers. As you said, right, um, blood pressure is an important thing to be monitoring and optimizing. You know, we see changes in fat and weight distribution. And so doing being on top of that and being proactive in um, optimizing those things for a women, woman will help her not be as vulnerable. Oh, yeah. And especially insulin resistance. I mean, that's another really serious risk factor in women. In fact, if a woman has insulin resistance and hypertension has hypertension at the same time, um, I worry about women, especially these women who become diabetic and are hypertensive. They get, you know, alarmingly, really alarmingly high triglycerides. I saw this so many times, Brianna, in my practice where a woman would be borderline diabetic, have a high hemoglobin A1C, just borderline, and all of a sudden, triglycerides of 250, 300. And uh, when the HDLs go down and the triglycerides go up, uh, you know, that's a serious risk factor for coronary artery disease as well. But I want to get back to what you said about breast cancer. You're absolutely right. You know, women fear breast cancer. They don't think they're going to get heart disease. But heart disease, you know, one in three women one in two and a half to three women come down with heart disease, you know, in their lives, as opposed to one in eight women with breast cancer. So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. That is that is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think during this time in a woman's life is such a great time to be proactive, to look at those different biomarkers and start as they start creeping up or we see slight changes that maybe weren't there before menopause, that's the time to intervene, right? Before symptoms start. Because as we've talked about before, some of the um, symptoms that come along with heart disease for women are, aren't as overt as they are for men. They're more silent. And so a woman could be going longer with some um, symptoms of heart disease that are leaving her more vulnerable and we didn't know to intervene sooner. Exactly. And that, and, and again, that's diastolic dysfunction in these women who just have a little shortness of breath. I mean, that's amazing, Brianna. I saw so many women with DD, you know, it's diastolic dysfunction, you know, they're hypertensive and uh, it's amazing. There's sort of a trifecta that I saw here. I saw women on non-steroidals, Advil-like drugs, you know, yep. Uh, ibuprofen, those types of drugs, um, and women going through the menopause years yep. and hypertensive. I said, and, and this is like an unholy trinity. A lot of women don't realize, but when you take these non-steroidals, uh, it, can, it can have a serious impact on the kidney. And uh, a lot of women can, be, can become hypertensive just from taking a lot of non-steroidals. And again, hypertension or high blood pressure is the leading cause of diastolic dysfunction where the heart struggles, you know, as it's filling with blood. So um, because women take a lot more pain medications than men do because, I, you know, I, of, of all the issues of menstruation, et cetera, et cetera, you know more about that than I do. But I think we need to at least show women that um, 
if they are taking these non-steroidals and they're hypertensive and they're diabetic, I mean, this is a serious, you know, like a snowball rolling downhill, uh, especially when HDLs go down, the triglycerides go up and blood sugar goes up and inflammation goes up. And now we, now we set the stage for acute coronary artery disease or plaque rupture. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying super great time to be looking at blood pressure, your lipid levels, inflammation levels, all of those things so that we can really be proactive during this time so that yeah, so when a woman, is minimized. Yeah. When a woman reaches the age of around 50, uh, plus or minus a couple of years, when she's going through that perimenopausal menopausal situation, she needs to wake up. She needs to understand that, okay, you know, for years I've had the fountain of youth hormone. Like right now you have the fountain of youth hormone. You have estrogen. <laughs> estrogen is the hormone that prevents coronary artery disease. There's no doubt about it. But once the woman goes through perimenopause or menopause and the estrogen levels go down, now she's at risk. And, uh, you know, a woman is behind a man about 10 years because of estrogen. In other words, in developing coronary artery disease. But once she hits those menopausal years, she creeps up to men and then she actually can surpass men in, in, in cardiovascular risk factors. So I guess for the women listening to this show, if you're around 50 years old and your period is starting to wax and wane, this is a time to eat healthy. If you smoke, you got to stop smoking because that's the worst risk factor in women. Check your blood pressure. You know, if you're short of breath, ask your doctor to check you for diastolic dysfunction because it goes unnoticed, you know, even on echocardiographic analysis, unless, you know, the doctor is looking for it. So it's important for, you know, women to really assume more responsibility for themselves when they reach those middle age. Yes. And we talked about how, you know, as estrogen and progesterone fluctuate and decline, it leaves women more vulnerable to heart disease. But there's also some other things that become more of a risk for women as their estrogen and progesterone decline in the postmenopausal years, which again, having that be on their radar, they can be more proactive about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, women, um, you know, they may need to exercise more. They may need to take a healthier diet, take targeted nutritional supplements. And by the way, you know, when I met Leon Schrager's and C's Vermeer, these were two Dutchmen. And I talked about this with your husband, Drew, on, a previ on previous shows. But at Yale University about 15 years ago, I met these two Dutchmen. And they did the research on metaquinone 7. It's vitamin K2. Mm. And this is so important for women because, you know, women, they, they fear osteoporosis. They brittle bones and things like that. And, you know, some women take hormonal replacement therapy. Others don't. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's an individual component of every woman. But one of the things that I worry about in women are brittle bones where they're, they're, they don't have the, the structure of, of, of the bone. And this is what NK7 does. Metaquinone 7 takes calcium out of blood vessels where it doesn't belong and it puts it back in the bones where it does belong. So even somebody like myself, because I'm an aging male and, you know, osteoporosis and hip fracture is very dangerous in the male. I mean, you know, men who get this hip fracture do worse than women, believe it or not, you mm. know, because of post-op complications. So basically, I've been taking MK7 for years. And for any woman on this show uh, who's, you know, approaching those elder years, is you know, over the age of 50, 
I would seriously consider metoquinone seven because again, it does everything right in a woman's body. It's absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's really important for, for, for preventing brittle bones while, while you know, getting calcium out of blood vessels where it doesn't belong in the first place. Absolutely. And we talk a lot about vitamin D, right? People are a lot more aware about vitamin D now and are taking maybe higher levels. And so that is important, but the vitamin D also affects our calcium, right? And so again, when we're affecting our calcium, we want to make sure that calcium to your point is going into our bones where we want it to be and not lining our arterial vessels, which could then also leave us more vulnerable to heart disease. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned uh, vitamin D and calcium because, you know, when I was writing my books years ago, and I'm talking 20 years ago, 10 years ago even, um, the dogma was you know, giving women high calcium, postmenopausal right. women, they get 1,500 milligrams. Even when we were in school, Steve, it, and still it's sometimes like I see, still see it printed, right? And I'll tell you, if, if, if women are taking high calcium and you know, good doses of vitamin D at the same time, they can get calcinosis or calcium deposition in the coronary arteries. That's why, um, you know, when any woman takes a multivitamin, she needs to read the labels. In fact, it's amazing. Just before this show, a well-known, and I mean, I'm, I'm not going to mention the name, but a very well-known uh, uh, television pro programmer, uh, you know, is on TV all the time, put together a, uh, a protein shake. And in the protein shake, there was 500 milligrams of calcium. And I said, wait a minute, there's no way I, I could even endorse this or recommend this because this is too much calcium to take, you know, in supplemental form every single day, especially with people taking higher vitamin D because of the pandemic. So if you take high D and you're taking in 500 of calcium or more in the supplement, or if you're taking in a lot of calcium containing foods at the same time, you know, we don't want to get this scenario where we get you know, the combination of too much vitamin D, which I don't think you're going to get too much unless they're taking, you know, 10,000 units a day. But, you know, two to 5,000 units a day is good. But if you're taking a lot of excess vitamin D and, and you're taking a lot of calcium at the same time, uh, you can certainly get calcification of blood vessels, which we don't want. Yeah. And like with everything, right, it's ideal for someone to test their levels and know what their level is so they know if they're supplementing, if they're getting enough, if they're getting too much. And absolutely, I like <clears throat> I like recommending that people get calcium in through their diet as much as possible too. And if they are taking any supplemental calcium, not too high and definitely making sure there's a good dose of magnesium on board to help support. Correct. Them. Balance, balance the calcium. Well said, Brianna. So Brianna, one of the things that bothered me as a heart specialist is when I saw um, a family history uh, mm -hmm. of a young heart attack, uh, in either a man or a woman. Um, and, and, and I mean a uh, heart attack in the 30s or 40s. And, uh, you know, the, the youngest woman I've ever had with a heart attack was 18 years old. Uh, she was on the birth control pills of ye yesteryear, you know, the, the very, very high, um, you know, amounts of uh, estrogens and stuff like that. But I saw a heart attack in an 18-year-old girl. Uh, I'll never forget it. I had just uh, finished my my fellowship in cardiology, I was on the gun for the emergency room and an 18 year old girl shows up with chest pain mm. and slight EKG changes. And uh, I'll never forget it. I admitted it at the coronary care unit. And in the middle of the night, my partner who was on call that night had to put an emergency pacemaker in it because she developed complete heart block from a massive heart attack 
that, you know, thank God I admitted her. But but again, I mean, that's the youngest woman I've ever had with a heart disease. But I've had a lot of women in their 30s and 40s. Yeah. And family history is important here because there's certain families uh, that they can develop hypercholesterolemia, where they can have cholesterol levels of three, four, 500. LP little a is inherited in families. And LP little a is a serious risk factor right now. This is one risk factor that, uh, you know, all physicians need to check because, you know, with the biogenome project, uh, you know, actually bringing to light, you know, a lot of the genetics, LP little a is carried genetically. Now, there's a lot of spontaneous mutations where you can develop problems with LP little a, but this is one risk factor that both men and women uh, need to be cognizant of because the shame is if you have a high LP little a, it will, it will cause coronary disease. This is the worst risk factor of all. Uh, the beauty of it is it's easily rectified. In other words, you can, you can take care of it with you know, nanokinase, lumbrokinase, uh, even fast-acting niacin. There's so many ways you can compensate if you do have LP little a as well. Yes, I love that. And I found the same thing too when women come in and specifically their moms you know, there's, we look at family history, but why, why, why is your mom's family history, especially with respect to cardiovascular disease, why is that an important piece to be looking at? Well, the interesting thing is, remember, all the mitochondrial DNA, uh, unlike nuclear DNA, it's carried on the, on the mother's side. So yeah. that's very, very important because uh, uh, mitochondrial DNA um, I mean, it's involved in the aging process. And uh, again, it's all inherited through the mother. I mean, so the good news is if you have longevity on your mother's side, at least you have good mitochondrial genetics. If you have early death in the 30s, 40s or 50s on the mother's side, uh, that's a wake up call to do something about your genetics. In other words, you know, how can you, you can invigorate, you know, mitochondrial DNA. I mean, certainly there's things you can do like CoQ10, for example, CoQ10 is awesome for, you know, uh, you know, putting mitochondrial DNA or driving ATP in a preferential direction. You know, the carnitines work, deribose works, magnesium, you mentioned it before. It's like the glue that ties everything together. So, you know, again, if a woman has a family history of heart disease uh, on the mother's side and it's young, uh, I tend to be very, very aggressive. Yeah. And again, not don't worry. It's like your future isn't set in stone. But again, around this time is an important time. And especially even more so if you do have that family history to really look specifically at your biomarkers, like what you were saying with LP little a, is that a factor for you? And what are the things that you can do to help decrease your risk going forward? Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, uh, when people in my practice were dealt a bad set of genetics, they used to come in depressed and, and say, oh, I'm doomed doctor. And whether it was an April four allele or April two alleles or, you know, with, with Alzheimer's disease or, you know, these, these women would come in or men would come in and I would say, wait, wait, look, this is genetics. But what trumps, you know, genetics, environmental factors, you said it. Absolutely. Environmental factors. And there's so many things you can do to change your environment, your diet, your exercise program, taking targeted nutraceuticals. 
you're an expert on detoxification. You're not a detoxify people. I remember uh, going and visiting you when you were going into the health food stores and you were buying these detoxification formulas. So there's so many things people can do if they are dealt some bad genetics. Um, and, and basically they can reverse that because I, I, like you, believe that the environment trumps bad genetics. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What are some things that women can do knowing that they're vulnerable going into menopause, knowing that they might be vulnerable, having that family history? You know, we're all about empowering women and yes, keeping them in a positive state, especially during this time in their life where they can then take charge, be proactive. So, you know, some different things they can do as you mentioned, diet and lifestyle, right? Like reducing sugar, reducing high fructose corn syrup, you know, reducing um, hydrogenated oils, right? Choosing, choosing the healthier fruit sugars, choosing healthier oils like olive oil. I know you're a big proponent of that, making sure they're getting lots of fresh fruits and vegetables for that good fiber that's super protective for, and helpful for not only their cardiovascular system, but their GI system, everything else, right? So many things yeah. that someone can do helps not only for cardiovascular risk, might help not only for helping them ease through the menopausal transition, but supports them, their bone health supports so many different things because our body functions as a whole, right? And so if we are optimizing our diet, optimizing our um, exercise and lifestyle, that has such a multi-factor approach on improving our well-being in so many areas and in going forward. Yeah. And, and, and some women uh, also need to take hormonal replacement therapy. I mean, it's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. So, I mean, you know, much more about this than, than I do. But I remember seeing women on the opposite side of the aisle in my office and they would say, Doc, I can't live in my body. I can't yeah. sleep. Um, I have these hot flashes are driving me crazy. I'm getting palpitations. I'm getting arrhythmia. And um, and I'll tell you, um, a lot of women in my practice were rescued with bioidentical type of hormones. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done uh, a podcast on this with Suzanne Summers and others. Uh, but I'm sure as a naturopath, women come to see you all the time and they ask you, you know, am I a candidate for hormonal replacement therapy? And, and what do you yeah. say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like with anything that I'm doing, right, there's a therapeutic order and there's a hierarchy. It depends how how bad someone's symptoms are, how much it's impacting their life. And because when women are going through menopause, it, you know, if they're having hot flashes, like you said, they're uncomfortable in their own skin, they're uncomfortable in their own skin at night. If they're having night sweats, it's affecting their sleep that affects their energy. It affects their stress. It affects their mood. It affects so many aspects of their well-being. So if they're in, you know, in having a really hard time with it, of course, we look at diet and lifestyle. We look at individual nutraceuticals that are indicated for them. And I have seen, you know, certain herbs and that sort of thing be game changers for people. But sometimes you do need the bioidentical hormones. And when you find that right dose in that right form for that right individual, it is amazing how many things improve for that person. And and, and what type of uh, bioidentical hormones do you use? Do you use topicals or, I mean, what, what what's your favorite go-to? You know what? I feel like with anything, right? Even if you're using um, 
this is what I always say to my patients. It's a conversation between you and I on what makes sense for you and what you're going to take, right? Because you could recommend creams for someone, but they don't like taking the creams. They're all over. They don't want, they worry about getting it on their partner. They forget them, you know? So in that case, a patch can be easier for them. Uh, Some people don't like the patch. Some people like the ritual of putting the creams on. And so I think it's, it's individual, you know, usually, especially during the menopausal years, if someone's sleep is being affected, I do choose to give progesterone in a uh, oral capsule at night because it's when, when it's metabolized orally, it has an effect on the GABA symptom uh, system in their body, which can be relaxing and which can help with sleep. So that's kind of a uh, you know, an extra bonus by taking the progesterone orally. Um, and then I do like to, to do um, estrogen topically, but it depends on the individual if we're going to do patch or cream and what that's going to look like for them. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I remember a case in my practice. I'll never forget this, Brianna. It's a woman in her mid-50s, and uh, she was menopausal, and she was taking medroxyprogesterone, mm. uh, a synthetic derivative um, she was also on Premarin and um, she was on this, you know, program and she developed high blood pressure uh, while she was on the medroxyprogesterone. And she had a little leakage of the mitral valve. And this is amazing. With the skyrocketing blood pressure, you know, probably due to the medroxy, um, she developed wide open mitral regurgitation. In other words, the higher the blood pressure, the more the valve leaked. Mm. And she was so short of breath and she had an unsatisfactory quality of life. She went to see a cardiovascular surgeon and he was going to replace the valve. Um, then she came to see me because the surgeon sent her to see me to get a, to get cardiac clearance. While I was taking her history, she told me about, you know, the hormonal replacement therapy, you know, the Premarin and medroxyprogesterone. And all of a sudden, because I was writing my book, Heart Sense for Women back then, I'm saying, oh, my God, you know, this here's a woman going to get a mitral valve replacement when she needs to get off the medroxyprogesterone and the blood pressure will come down. If the blood pressure comes down, the mitral valve will leak less and then she won't need surgery. But she was ready to have open heart surgery when the whole thing corrected just going off the medroxyprogesterone. You know, so, I mean, that's a case I'll never forget. And I'm sure there's women out there now, you know, who you know, have issues like this. So it's really important that, um, you know, we, we, we bring these little case studies up to, up to speed because, you know, we learned from them. And if one case study can help a lot of other people, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. So I'm I'm glad you're using the bioidenticals and you're using the patches and stuff like that. I, I think they're much better tolerated in in a woman's body than the stuff that I, you know, was confronted with, you know, decades ago. Yeah. And it's always a conversation with that individual, right? Looking at their family history and the the risk benefit ratio, which is always something that's an individual conversation between you and your healthcare practitioner to find out really what's right for you. So before we wrap up the show today, as always, we're going to share some wellness wisdom with our listeners. Brianna, let's leave everybody with a pearl of wisdom about what women can begin to do right now to keep their hearts healthy as they age. I am big on empowering women around the menopausal transition because there's so much change in their body. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that we can look at diet and lifestyle wise. But I would say one thing that is so important that I would encourage for a woman is listening to her heart. 
And if there is any sort of incongruency within her heart, when she closes her eyes at night, if anything is, you know, pressing heavy on her heart or on her mind or on her spirit, I would really encourage her to listen to that. And whether that is, you know, working out a mishap with a colleague or asking for more support uh, for the demands that are on her, whatever that may be, I think that it is so important to honor and respect that. And during this time when we're making a lot of you know, diet and lifestyle changes, truly try to your best to listen to your heart and be in a place of congruency with that. Because I think that is another piece of, of, of heart disease that, you know, as you've written about, even in your books is so important. Right. And so through menopausal symptoms, through, you know, heart disease, through just being in this world, you know, ask for what you need and listen to your heart and try and be in a space of, centeredness and peace around that as much very, as possible. very very well said in fact um when a woman does not listen to her heart or if the woman has a disconnect between what's going on here and what's going on here um she can invite heart disease into her life my plea to women today is what you said follow the voice of your heart uh, mm. you know and the other thing too is intuition comes like a thief in the night i mean if people get an insight, I mean, it happens so quickly. Um, they need to act on it. Uh, yeah. And if they act on it, 99% of the time, it's going to be the truth, you know. Mm -hmm. But if they're in battle with your intuition or if they're in a struggle with their intuitive thoughts, oh, and, you know, that to me is betrayal of the heart because intuition is always the truth. <laughs> So you don't want to betray your heart. Now, I know I'm speaking more like a psychotherapist, but but basically, I'm so glad you brought it up because you said it all. If a woman listens to the voice of her heart, she's not going to get into trouble. I really like that. So I think we can end on that note. I, I, yeah. I a happy note. I like that note. So uh, I, I think we'll end on it. And uh and this was a great conversation, Brianna. This was, this was awesome. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. I did too. That's our show for today, folks. If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. I'm Dr. Brianna Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.